0: spiral, spin, ride the whirlwind, knowing when the drumming stops,
1: there'll be no second dance.
2: Welcome you back to another episode of Drive Back the Night, an Andromeda series podcast. I'm Ryan Mazzacco, And I'm Ethan Maestri. Each week we look at a different episode of Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda, and we break it down. This week
1: we are looking at the episode Ouroboros. Absolutely. But, Ryan, before we get into this, yep. I'm noticing you've dispensed with the normal spiral binder this week for your notes. Mm-hmm. You got a nice little uh, three-ring binder going on here. Yeah, I did. I um, I
2: changed it up. I think I can say that uh, from this point on, things are going to be different. Okay. Since we're noticing things, I just want to say I know normally we don't talk about uh, what we wear, but that is a very nice purple shirt that you're wearing. You wear it very well. Oh, Thank you. Purple looks good on you. appreciate it. So anyway, on to the show Ouroboros. Now this is an episode This is an episode. Now this is an episode which I guess
1: makes it more believable that they would eventually become part of Dylan's crew. I had always wanted a ferret when I was a kid. <laughs> I'm not so sure I want one now. Yeah. are
2: voices? Yeah. That was that was weird. I wasn't expecting if draw that. Andromeda over yeah.
1: my child. Oh. I would drown oh. it. <laughs> There's more. It's a hard stance today. I remember
2: that. Okay. An
1: AI can have hope. If it's programmed to, it can. The Pax Magellanic didn't have any hope. An AI can perform its duties. That's how it gets <laughs> Okay, that,
2: that was our discussion on the Pax Magellanic. I think there's some kind of a, Which
1: I guess makes a spatial time-space time
2: really distortion of going, of on.
1: Man, I a going on. Man, is this a whole temporal mechanic thing going on? Oh, boy. It's an
2: interesting plot device, but this is really getting complicated. Yeah, I got a headache.
1: So, Ryan, I think we should take a second and actually talk about the relationship between Tier and Farrar. I mean, Farrar. this is a guy...
2: What was that one? I have no clue. I don't remember ever having that discussion before. I don't think we have yet. Okay, well, it looks like the storm's calming down now. Yeah. Okay, you ready? That was strange. That was. That was really, really... I've never experienced anything. Hmm. You you ready to get on with the show? Let's
1: try, yeah. Okay. Let's see All right,
2: so Ouroboros... Okay, I, I gotta ask. This is weird. Did you change your clothes? No. Okay, but you were just wearing a purple shirt, and now you're wearing a gold shirt.
1: Yeah. It's it's the same shirt, though. It's just, it's really old. So it's just faded? hmm By the way, I've heard the rest of this podcast. You have? Yeah. Well, how did it go? Not so good, no. Oh, well, what happened? I've made a lot of mistakes. Oh.
2: Well, I guess you know what we have to do. Yeah. This is a pretty big episode, Ethan. Yes, it is. Uh, one that we've uh, seen coming for a while. One that uh, I think... Would you say probably we've been looking forward to? Maybe a lot of our audience has been looking forward to? Yes
1: and no. Okay. And we'll probably get more into why the no is in there in future episodes. But, you know, yes, Mm -hmm. this is definitely – well, they say it in the show, and yes, it's a watershed event. Mm -hmm. So, yeah.
2: Right. Right. So, uh, a lot to look forward to, a lot to talk about. Um, let's go ahead and get into it. Do you want to start out with uh, some fun
1: facts and trivia? I sure do. Okay. we got a few here. Uh, first of all, we've got a new face uh, for this particular episode. Christina Copeland is the actress that plays Kylie Vance, uh, the security officer aboard the Andromeda during the time of the fall, or the Nietzschean attack, that eventually leads to the Andromeda being sucked into the black hole. She began appearing in television and films in the late 90s and throughout the 2000s in shows like Stargate SG-1 and the 4400, and a few films from the same period as well. And and as I mentioned, she she appears here as Kylie Vance. Now, we have also a lot of returning familiar faces. Uh, Again, Alex Dykham as Hone. Um, This isn't actually the last time we're going to see him, even though this episode would lend you to believe this is the last time we might see him. (laughs) No spoilers. Right. Rick Covejo, he plays Raqib. He's appeared in the first season as Raqib in a couple of episodes, and he's here as Hone's assistant. And this will be his third episode that he's appeared in. And then we have Emmy Anik, and he plays Thompson. Now, you'll remember Thompson is one of the gunners in the two-man crew in the little gunner alcove. Um, in the pilot episode that we see at the very beginning of the series, and mm-hmm. they bite it very early on. Mm. Well, we get to see him, this same actor, back in the same role Oh wow! Uh, okay. for this particular episode of Ouroboros. So obviously we're going to have a little bit of time shifting going on without uh, giving too much away. Now, Ouroboros, or Uroboros comes to us from the original Greek language, and it is the ancient symbol that depicts a serpent or dragon eating its own tail. It represents the recreating of oneself or representative of constant cycling. It is also interesting to note that the symbol appears not just in Greek culture, but also in ancient Egypt and Indian culture as well. And it's typically depicted in religious and mythological symbolism associated most commonly with Gnosticism, Hermeticism, and Hinduism. And that's what I've got for fun facts for the episode Ouroboros.
2: Okay. Well, you want to uh, go ahead and fill us in on what actually happened? Try to keep this short, like within a minute or two.
1: (laughs) Not possible, my friend. All right. Well, let's just hear what you got. Okay. We start off with a holographic message from Rev Bim. It seems that he's become uncomfortable in his own skin, and he feels the need to take a lone sabbatical to make peace with himself. It doesn't sound like he'll be back next week, or the week after that, or anytime soon for that matter, and the crew knows it. Harper takes it particularly hard and stalks off. Dylan finds him, and Harper explains why he's so hurt. Rev promised him that he'd help find an answer to getting the larva out of him, but now he's broken that promise. A shame, too, because it seems time has run out as the larva are now beginning to hatch. Laying down and contemplating the horror that he's about to have to experience, Harper very briefly experiences a sort of vision of him holding someone's arm, keeping them from falling into something. Then he passes out. When he comes to, he tells Dylan "Senti," indicating that he wants the Perseids' help with his problem. Dylan explains that if anybody can help with Harper's condition, it's the Perseids, but fails to explain why they've waited until the 11th hour to try and enlist their help before Harper goes into his end stage of infestation. After Harper and Trance have a touching moment that reminds us of the trust and friendship that these two characters share, they arrive at Senti, and Technical Director Hone and his assistant Rakib come aboard. They are excited by the proposal that Harper has made, if a bit insensitive to the fact that a man's life is at stake. As the Perseids and Harper begin to set up a machine based on the Tesseract technology that Harper confiscated from the spirit of Abyssus cronies, Dylan and Rami are in the engineering section discussing the danger to Harper. Rami admits that Harper is closer to her than any engineer that she's ever had. Whether they like it or not, all the Maru's crew is like family to them which will make putting Harper down a lot harder if this last-ditch effort fails. As Dylan leaves, he steps through the engineering door, sees a flash of bluish light, and finds himself in a corridor. Not the corridor outside engineering, though. It soon becomes apparent that he's not only shifted in position on the ship, but through time as well, as he sees familiar crew members from before the fall, all hurrying to battle stations. Dylan tries to chase down one officer, but as he drops to another deck, he's suddenly back in the present with a confused Andromeda asking him how he got from Deck 10 to Deck 19 in The Week of an Eye. Rami appears to Harper and asks if the machine is operating, but Harper claims that it is still in the assembly stage and hasn't been turned on. After returning to the machine shop, freaky things start happening, like Tyr walking into the room half-dressed from his quarters. Then another door opens directly into space, and nearly all of them get sucked out. Harper catches Rakib just before he gets sucked out, and then sees himself lying on the bed when the larva first started to bother him. It's not a vision at all, so much as a glimpse between time. Suddenly, the energy discharges are happening everywhere. Trance and Becca are fighting a killer android from the Pax Magellanic, while the rest of the crew play out a frailing door gag from the Looney Tunes cartoons. They need to stop building the Tesseract machine, which they have, as Tier points out, except they haven't. Hone sets some assembly robots to finish assembling the machine. Way to be proactive, Hone. Their immediate problem becomes how to get back to the machine shop to stop the assembly. But Rami one-ups that concern when she reveals that the energy discharges are not only affecting Andromeda, but all of Centi as well, which will tear the planet apart if they don't stop the machine. While the rest of the crew deals with a cut-and-paste ship, Harper and the two Perseids accidentally drop into the engineering section, where Hone tragically exits from the show by dropping into the Slipstream Drive chasm. <clears throat> Becca and Trance, fighting Calderans, have a couple of unusual encounters aboard the Maru. Becca runs into a freaky, futuristic version of herself. But before blonde Becca can get an answer out of the patch wearing future version of herself, the future version dismisses present Becca, claiming that she can't get involved with this right now, and walks off. Back with Trance... The two of them stumble onto another version of Trance, one that seems a bit more capable in a fight, Golden color, and, as if this was even possible, even more cryptic than the purple version. Gold Trance tells Purple Trance that she has to go, which Purple Trance does, leaving Gold Trance to let Becca know the purple one that we've grown to love is gone. Well, not gone, just all grown up. It's a whole timey-wimey thing that she can't really explain now, so the two walk off, presumably to kill more Calderans. Rami has sussed out the pattern to the Tesseracts on board, and leads Dylan to command deck, where they are able to get the ship away from Sinti, hopefully preventing the planet's destruction. Somewhere in the Maru, Rakib shows Harper some theoretical findings that he's been taking of the energy patterns. Harper sees the value and programs... something to harness the Tesseracting energy and opens a door that he thinks will lead them straight to the machine shop. But it doesn't. Instead, they end up in yet another random corridor on the Andromeda, where they run into Becca and Trance. Harper flips out over Gold Trance, and that moment of trust and friendship that we saw earlier is now evaporated. However, they all go together to the machine shop. There, they find Rami and Dylan, where they begin discussing the two scenarios that are before them. Destroy the machine and reset everything back to normal, or use the machine to save Harper, but leave everything as it is. Dead home, angry Sinti government, and this gold version of Trance. The last option is too much for poor Rakib, and he decides to do what no other Perseid we've seen on this show do before. Stand up for something. He threatens to shoot if they do not destroy the machine. Way to be a man, Rakib. Too bad a swarm of Magog ships landed on the Andromeda about that time and thwarted your standoff. Tyr enters the room, bringing a number of angry Magog with him. The crew turn their guns on the incoming beasts and eliminate the threat. Dylan leaves the decision to destroy the machine, or use it, to Harper. His life or Hone's. Harper feels Hone is the better choice, and decides to destroy the machine. But Goldtrance thinks otherwise and flips the switch. The beam grabs Harper and the larvae come floating out of him, then wink out of existence. Afterward, with Harper recovering in Medbay, Dylan gives Rami the order to contact Sinti and let them know that their brightest scientist is now dead. Dylan now has to determine if Gold Trance is going to remain on board, a decision that doesn't get any easier when talking with her. But Dylan can tell that she's being honest when she tells them that her decision to save Harper had nothing to do with a perfect future and everything to do with friendship. This trance may not have Dylan's trust, but her honesty is a start. The end. You know, Ethan, I don't,
2: I don't usually give you enough praise for the job that you do on this show, but I got to hand it to you on that one. Very good summary. Very difficult show to try to summarize. Just a lot going on there. Yes. So, <laughs> to try to sum that up, uh, that was that was quite a feat and i think you handled it quite well
1: that that was a process of several hours actually oh, <laughs> trying to weed through what can i what what is relevant here and what isn't there's a lot of there is a lot of mm-hmm. relevant information right and a lot of it i i just i couldn't even I couldn't even include here.
2: Right. And I, I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, but I know a lot of times I'll do that when I'm trying to summarize a show. Uh, there's t- there's whole sequences and whole scenes that I'll just parse from it. Because mm-hmm. it's not important enough that I put it in. But yeah, you're right. In this one, what can you leave out? It, there was so much that was so solid and so um, important to what was going on. Yeah, You pretty much just have to just... Do the whole transcript, just about. Just about. Uh, sum up the sum up the conversations is about the yes. best you can do. <laughs> yeah. So I applaud you and your efforts. Oh, sir. thank
1: you. I appreciate that.
2: Uh, one thing, one question I did have, though, v- from the very beginning is Becca, she asks when, when they find out that Rev Bim is gone and he's not coming back, evidently, uh, and they say, well, let's go get him. And Becca says, where would we even start? Where would we even know where to find him? My first thought is, did you forget that you have Trance? <laughs> yeah. She can find anything,
1: right? Just pull up a star map mm-hmm. and just say, point to whatever you think. Right. <laughs> yeah, we're going We're going to go there. Mm-hmm. He's. There, yep, there's a monastery on that planet. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> uh, like I said, so much to talk about. I really had to pare down my observations. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, this would have been like a... Three-hour episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so the first thing I want to lead off with here is Aches and Pains. A lot of mention of Aches and Pains. And for those of you that are playing the home game, we had four references to Aches and or Pains in this episode. I just want to go through them right quick. Okay. Because I thought it was funny. Uh, scientists give Tier a headache. Scientists give Harper a stomach ache. Temporal Mechanics gives Becca a headache. And Harper's Aches and Pains have Aches and Pains. Hmm. I'm just thinking that after this mission... Is that last one actually two? Um, yeah, well, Aches and Pains being the subject also having the... I don't know. I'm lost. Uh, Let's just call it four. Okay. And, and Yeah. I'll be right here. All right. <laughs> uh, perhaps after this, this little... Uh, mission that they've had Mm -hmm. maybe dylan can assign some r&r for them yeah you would hope so wouldn't you i would think you would need it because Mm -hmm. after all of that running around the ship Mm -hmm. bouncing around from corridor to corridor and room to room and and not knowing where you're going yeah Mm -hmm. i i would i would definitely want to have some uh some shore leave yeah after something like that
2: well maybe that'll be next week's episode Maybe. Yeah, maybe they'll get to visit a shoreleaf planet.
1: <laughs> Do they have Riza in this? No, they don't.
2: Well, you never know. I mean, <laughs> probability, they've got to have a Riza planet somewhere.
1: My vote is mm-hmm. Glitter Dust.
2: Okay. Um, I was really glad to see that there is somebody else out there, finally, because it appears that no one in this crew does, but someone else actually gets Harper's sense of humor.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. The Perseids. When,
2: when they, when they make the joke, when Harper makes his joke about, he puts his foot up and he's, you know, talking about his,
1: his insides oh. and, and Har- Harper going down a, downstairs mm-hmm. yeah, or something like yeah.
2: that. Yeah. And, uh, anyway, uh, I don't remember if it was, if it was Hoon or Rakib, but one of them, the Perseids standing right behind him kind of giggled and laughed. That's right. And yeah. it was
1: Hoon, I believe.
2: Okay. I believe it was.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah.
2: that was nice to see for him to get some love.
0: Now,
1: do you think the Perseids actually know what Picasso is? Where they would be able to laugh, like, knowing what the joke is? I don't know. They kind of seem to know about everything. That is true.
2: They're very, very intelligent.
1: I mean, Hone is the, like, chief spymaster, I guess, when it comes to archiving data or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, if the Perseids are Harper's best hope, um, I, I alluded to it in the summary, mm-hmm. why are we just now getting around to contacting them? Why, why is this... In, in He has a week to live.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So why are we just now getting around to the Perseids? Because Dylan is like, oh, yeah, the Perseids, they'll definitely be able to help us out in this. Why didn't we go there six months ago?
2: Do you ever have people uh, either in your life or maybe in your job that are really good at something and you know that they are? Mm-hmm. But, man, you hate asking them for help.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: Because there's just something about them. They irritate you. They just rub you the wrong way. They make you feel stupid the whole
1: time. Yeah.
2: It's just like, you know what? I really could y- use Dave's help
1: moving, but, man. You know, we've got Rev here. He's promised to help. We'll just hold out until right. they get they Okay, yeah. yeah. I buy that. Okay. I buy that. Yeah. Otherwise, this is a scenario. Isn't this like a scenario where you, like, hire a contractor to build a house for you, and you're like, oh, by the way, I know I just hired you, but i got to move in by the end of the month. You're not leaving them any room, you're not leaving them any time, Mm -hmm. or no room for error whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So if this doesn't work in a week, Harper's dead. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, that example hits a little close to home.
1: (laughs) Sorry, I I meant no insult. (laughs) I'm just saying, that was the first thing that popped in mind.
2: Right, yeah, sure. No, I know, you've been... (laughs) You got to get in your house.
1: <laughs> it doesn't yeah. matter what my plans were for the weekend. You know, I, I bring that up because I, f- I figured you might appreciate that, uh-huh, but apparently yeah. I've, I've offended. <laughs> I do no, apologize. I, I'm
2: to the point. I don't care. I'm like, you know what? You got a deadline. So does everybody else that we work for. So uh, yeah, this actually is not our day job. I don't know if people out there know that. Mm. We do actually have other jobs outside of this. Yes, we do. Um, so just something else to kind of supplement what we do here. True.
1: And we enjoy a good drink. Mm -hmm. Sorry about that. Um, And I guess one last thing I wanted to bring up, just by way of observation, is in the end, really, is having the Sinti government mad at you such a big deal? (laughs) Uh, What are the consequences of of the Perseids being angry with you? I don't know are I they mean, gonna come blow your ship up? No, no, they're not gonna do that are think are they gonna put an economic embargo on you or something?
2: I mean you know there's um there's technology and maybe trade secrets, something they're just not gonna they're not gonna help you out anymore. Yeah. They're not gonna come over and and reformat your computer anymore,
1: <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, uh, Geek Squad won't, mm-hmm. won't return your phone calls. Exactly. I mean, just imagine. You know, <laughs> uh, that could be terrible. Mm-hmm. That could be terrible because you got that new sixty-inch plasma. Well, no, nobody buys plasma anymore. No. You got, you got that. You got that new sixty-inch four K uh, on your wall, and yeah, that's a <laughs> now. The, now they won't come help you out. Uh, I I find it difficult to believe that it be it would be all that big of a deal.
2: Well, I mean, we don't know exactly how all of the Perseids are. I mean, remember. That the Andromeda used to be uh, commanded by a Perseid. So maybe some, maybe we've just been shown the geeks of the Perseids. Yeah. Well,
1: we did have the one in the uh, museum that was a security guard. Mm -hmm. He looked kind of quasi-intimidating, I guess. I think he was a little more intimidated by the dead one hanging in the corner (laughs) than than the actual security guard. But, Mm -hmm. you know.
2: He's like, don't tap on the glass.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Don't. Don't make fun of my skin color. Yeah. Which really, shouldn't that be for everybody? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not to get political, but shouldn't that just be a rule for everybody? Right. Shame on you, Harper. Yeah.
2: I think we just kind of accidentally touched on a, a real topic here. Well, so you know what we have to do then? Start talking about real topics? No, move oh, on. Move on. Okay. Well,
1: well, it may be real topics,
2: but okay. let's move on. Yeah, not so much topics as in real world issues, but... Uh, Real topics as pertaining to this episode of Andromeda. Uh, something that, I don't know if it's something we learned, but it's definitely something that I learned. If we knew this before, then I totally missed it. It turns out Rev Bim was the ship's theoretical physicist.
1: Yes. And psychologist.
2: And psychologist. We, we kind of knew that. Yeah. Uh, he's, it wasn't an official title, but he definitely filled that role. Did you know that he was a theoretical physicist?
1: Um, he was always there with a the scientific idea. It seemed like if they had to come up with something, if Harper and Rev were in the room, they were kind of on the same page. Okay, Harper might have the idea initially, but Rev kind of took it and made it to where everyone else could understand. I can think of a, I think of a couple of instances where that took place. So it kind of makes sense that yeah, he would he would he would fill that role. Hmm. Okay.
2: Well, that's interesting. I totally missed that. Hmm. I, I wish that th- that would have been a little bit more
1: pronounced throughout this. Or maybe I'm just thinking of it as the fact that Rev was such a sage character that it just you could say he, he could do all of these things and you would just believe it. Okay.
2: Well, I mean, was it just because he was, he's sort of that at-one-with-the-universe kind of uh, personality that he just understands the universe and the way it works? On a, on a different level than the rest of them. Yeah. And maybe that makes him a, a good theoretical physicist.
1: I guess. I, I never really well, – now that I'm thinking about it, I never really viewed Brev as being the scientist type. But I think that's maybe because I was looking too much at him as being a man of the cloth. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of dismissed the science part because isn't that what – people do in society today anyway. Oh, sure. Yeah. (laughs) You can't be religious and scientifically minded, Mm -hmm. at least according to the secular world. Right. That's the view. So I I, I think I kind of suffered from that just a little bit. Um, I don't know. I heard it and it didn't seem out of place. Okay. I guess that's what it comes down to.
2: Well, I mean, it just kind of jumped out at me, though. Uh, I'm thinking we see Rev Bim through this whole season and a half and, yeah, he's involved in sciency stuff. They're on a spaceship out in space. I think he's going to have some sort of a grasp on science stuff. Yeah. I think at that point, everybody does. Yes. Um, I think it's just, a, a, it's just the times that they live in. You think about uh, the way we are with technology now as compared to 30 years ago, 50 years ago. You know, everybody has a smartphone. Everybody knows how to use all these things. Even you know, grandmas and grandpas are walking around with smartphones. They they maybe they're not extremely good at using them, but you know they have computers. Mm-hmm. They can use them. They know how to use email and the internet. Uh, everybody just knows these things. Yeah. So maybe three thousand years from now, some of these what seem to us very complex scientific theories and concepts, well, it's just everyday stuff for them yeah because that's the world they live in
1: yes it, it yeah you're spot on with that because you can't it seems to me that you can't have an, an existence in space in the coldness the harsh environment of space and not know a lot of things about at least how to survive mm-hmm. and that requires you to be a little bit scientific in in the way you think
2: right and that was really all that I had picked up from Rev Bim. Mm-hmm. He's able to, to, to work the sensors and the controls and things like that.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I, but I've never really noticed him of really coming up with these great
1: uh, theories. What was the episode where Rev had to come up with a, some sort of bio-agent or uh, a cure for something? He was working in the lab. And he was coming up with a serum of some sort. Mm-hmm. I forget which. It's mm-hmm. a season one episode. So, yeah. He, he does research level science. Okay. So, yeah. It makes sense that mm-hmm. he could he, he could be considered a theoretical physicist. So, I, I, I feel like we really should just a little bit further on Rev. Okay. Maybe this is something for what we learn from the show or what we take away from the show. Okay. So, I'm just going to bounce this off of you. Rev Mim's gone. He has now exited the show. Yeah. Right. We knew this was coming. Mm -hmm. We've talked to uh, Robert Hewitt-Wolf about it. We've talked to Ethelian Vare. We've talked to Brent State. Right. And even uh, Lisa Ryder. Mm -hmm. She mentioned it uh, as well, that when Rev finally left the show, it felt like something was missing. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, I was looking forward to this episode. But at the same time, that's one of the reasons why I haven't been looking forward to it. Mm
0: -hmm. Because Rev's
1: gone. And and it does really seem like, at least from the perspective of people that were in the know with the show, um, yeah, we've lost something. Mm-hmm. And and I'm sad to see Brent State uh, exit the series at this point. Mm-hmm. I would love to have seen him in it a lot longer, and we know he wanted to stay with it a lot longer. He just couldn't.
2: All right. Uh, at least they left it open ended.
1: Yes. They didn't kill him. True. He's uh like
2: you said he's on sabbatical. Yes. So, who knows? Maybe we will see him again hmm. at some future point.
1: Wouldn't that be cool?
2: Yeah, we can just hope. Yeah. So, tear. We don't have a whole lot of tear in this, but what tear we do have is uh, sort of a hypocritical tear. Okay. When Major Vance is chasing him through the hallways and their and their crew, they're trying to hunt him down. Uh, tear complains to Dylan that uh you know they're shooting first and apparently they indefinitely postponed the asking questions. I don't remember I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> yeah. But he, that's he, they postponed the asking questions. Yeah. And and for him, yeah, that sucks. They didn't bother to ask him what are you doing here and are you a good guy bad guy? Yeah. That offends him. Mhm. That really puts him out. Mhm. What does he do immediately after that conversation? He didn't ask any questions. He starts shooting
1: Calderans. <laughs> uh, okay. I, I, are you saying that he's being hypocritical because he shot the calderons without asking them well, why they're on board? Well, he
2: just got done saying – now, <laughs> hold on. I understand why he shot at the Calderons. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't have a problem with him shooting at the Calderans because that's, that's bad news. Yes. They're coming at him. Okay and you know that they're fierce, you got to defend yourself. But he just got done saying. <laughs> yes. That's my only problem with it. You okay. know. And why didn't he raise up his gun and say, maybe I should ask him a question first? <laughs> Cuz I did just get done saying to Dylan how I was upset with with Vance about not asking me any questions first, right? <laughs> so I just be Hey, Calderons, so it be cool. And then when they shoot back, and you know they're going to miss, because they're bad guys. Right,
1: right. So then, then you can take them out. Okay. I'm not even going to try and argue. it. With- wow. <laughs> so I won C- this one? Congratulations, Ryan. Right. You won that one. <laughs> so we're going to get Calderons on the Maru and the Andromeda. Is that what we're get? Is that what we're led to believe for this? Well, this it sure is this coming on a future episode? It sure looks like it. A lot of them. Mhm. Like as many of them as there were Magog when they swarmed. There weren't as many Magog this time. No, there weren't. <laughs> that was a very very small boarding party. Yeah. Maybe what happened was they all ended up in like the aft part of the ship. They ran the wrong direction except this one group. Maybe they saw here and just mm-hmm. chased him all the way forward.
2: Uh, maybe there was a janitor cleaning out some of the uh, costume closets and just threw out a bunch of the Magog
1: costumes. <laughs> D- due to a budget budgetary error, mm-hmm. <laughs> we sold these to the local Salvation Army. Yeah, maybe. So
2: we're reminded again that this was one of the uh, on weeks where Harper has Magog larvae. <laughs>
1: I am so glad mm-hmm. that we can put this trope to bed. Now. Okay, <laughs> I'm just going to state that for the record. Okay, I like this episode for the fact that we don't have to make larva jokes anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so yuck it up, okay. get them out of your system. All right, because I think it's done after this. Yeah,
2: um, I, I am a little confused though because I keep going back and forth when I when I've I've noticed that I kind of say m- magog. Eggs or sometimes magog larva mm-hmm. or larvae. Yeah. And I can't seem to settle on which one which it's one supposed it is. to be. And I think I finally figured out why that is. Is because they haven't. Right. <laughs> they call them anything from larvae to larvae to eggs. To magog. Right. And Magog babies. Yeah. <laughs> and and I don't understand how if they're larvae. As Dylan says at the very end, well, close to the very end, he calls down to Rami and says, these Magog larvae are about to hatch. If they're larvae, have they not already hatched?
1: <laughs> yeah. But I think visually they've had it right so far. Okay. Um, we don't know what they looked like on the sonogram because we didn't really get a good image.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When, uh, what's her name, from a few weeks back, mm-hmm. when Satrina reaches in and pulls out Mm-hmm. One of the larva slash eggs. When we see it, it's an egg. So is it an egg? Yeah, it's just that it it was just like it looked like one of the things that you get out of the you know the rotating chicken you yeah. know, that you crack into. I kind of thought it looked
2: like a little grub worm.
1: <laughs> a little grub worm, yeah, yeah. But it's it's got a it's kind of carapace. It's got a hard cover. Is what it looks like. Okay, so it's now, in
2: some kind of a pupa stage.
1: Egg stage. Let's just say egg. Okay. So it was an egg visually when Satrina pulled one out. Okay. Now that they're starting to hatch and they're pupating, Mm -hmm. is that the term? No. Okay. We don't need a biology class lesson here. But uh, in in any case, so when they they float out of of Harper at the end, they've got like features Mm -hmm. and leg, quasi-leg looking things. I mean, they look more like something attached. hatched. Mm-hmm. So I, I think visually... So they kind of looked like a flea under a high-powered they mic a microscope. They did. Yes, they did. I would agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, but it seemed like they had visually... It was straight. But you're absolutely right. The terminology they used over these last 12 episodes has been anything from Magog baby to egg to larva to whatever. Okay. Um, I have to disagree with you a little bit on that. Because
2: okay. in that episode, Into the Labyrinth... Uh, now we had joked in, in that discussion about when she did pull them out, how they were very noisy, but they didn't move. Right. But when we, what we do see of them on the, the ultrasound on the sonogram there, uh, they're, (laughs) they're they're, moving, they're moving around. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Which was why it was a problem for me. There you go. Okay. There you go. The sonogram is looking through the hard shell, through the, to the. The embryo, whatever that is, it's moving inside of it. Okay, you follow me. Mm-hmm. You follow yeah. me. Yeah. And when you pull it out, it's it's milky colored, so you can't see through the hard carapace or the hard shell. Okay. And suddenly, I want a Cadbury egg for some reason. <laughs> this is weird, but you know, totally different conversation. Mm-hmm. But anyway, yeah. So that, I, I think that's that's my explanation for it. The sonogram machine shows you what's inside the eggshell. Okay.
2: It's tough, but I'll go ahead and just go with it.
1: Yes, because we got nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, coming back to you mentioned Rev being the the scientist on board, the resident scientist. Mm-hmm. Uh, I we already knew this. I think it, I think she stated it before, but considering some of the missions that she's been involved in. You kind of think of Andromeda as being this big ship, this powerful computer, so when it comes to doing calculations and science air quotes, mm-hmm. science type things, she's capable, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. Andromeda's not a science ship, but she plays one on TV. <laughs> but mm-hmm. she admits in this episode, I'm not a science ship. I'm more into blowing things up, mm-hmm. which is kind of hot. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. I just think it's kind of interesting that you've got this big, powerful computer with all of the knowledge of the Commonwealth mm-hmm. Im- embedded in there, in that matrix, and yet she's making the claim, I got nothing, Right? you know, when it comes to, to theoretical physics, anyway, mm-hmm. or theoretical science. Right. Is she good at geometry? She has to be. <laughs> she can plot angles. Yeah. Because she's got to get that big hole okay. through whatever.
2: Okay. Yeah, that does seem odd, though, that she's a spaceship. In
1: space, <laughs> Yes. everything
2: about that is sciency,
1: isn't it? Yes, yeah, that's why I bring it up. I just thought that was kind yeah. of a uh, okay. Granted, maybe you're not the the best, but you're more than capable. Mm-hmm. You've demonstrated it mm-hmm. many times.
2: Well, that's what I was going. I was getting ready to say. It seems like on many occasion we have seen her be able to solve some pretty sciency problems. Mm-hmm. Pretty good at physics and and, and all that stuff. Uh, maybe where she has her downfall is things like um, biology. Okay, and I, I could see that. Maybe yeah. not not being a great doctor. There
1: it makes sense. Uh huh. Because she's more into te- tearing flesh apart rather right. than you know helping right. mend or put things together.
2: Now this situation here, this is a lot more theoretical. True. Maybe that's what she's not good at.
1: Well, and yet, she's the one that identifies the pattern in the tesseracting energy fields. Right. And is able to lead Dylan to where Dylan needs to go. Nobody else figured that out. Right. Isn't isn't science, a lot of science, just recognizing the patterns within chaos? Yeah. And that's exactly what she does in this episode. Mm Mm-hmm. So, I think she's selling herself short, yeah,
2: I think so uh Andromeda has some some sort of self esteem issues.
1: maybe Harper did that on purpose.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you might be right uh try to take advantage a little bit uh oh, Harper um but i guess I guess on that then here's another point I wanted to talk about too. As far as figuring things out with what was going on, you know, they're they're trying to discuss among the crew um, what what they've experienced, Trance's theory, and then who is it that ultimately figures out that it's because of future events that are affecting them now? It was Dylan. Yes. And I kind of have a problem with that. Really? Yeah, because... As much as Andromeda says that she's a warship, she's all military and strategy, strategery. Some say, <laughs> and she's she's not she's not science. She's not a science vessel. Dylan's not a scientist. He is a military officer. He's a commander of this military warship. Yeah. And yes, he is aware of sciencey stuff. He has to be to exist in this universe, right? But the way that he's the one that comes to the conclusion. He's the one that says, well, maybe it's not because of anything that we've done, but something that will be done. They've already, in the future, they've put together this device, and it's affecting us now.
1: I I don't know. I mean, of all of them, Dylan is the one that goes into the past. I mean, he, he ends up on a deck where he sees all these people that are dead. He knows he's not crazy, although he's willing to entertain that idea, and he's kind of fearful that Rev's not there to talk it over with him. But at the same time, he's familiar. He knows what he experienced. Mm -hmm. He knows what he saw. And with all of these other freaky things happening, as Becca puts it, Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't seem like it would be that hard of a leap. It just seems like such an
2: abstract thought for such a not really that abstract of a mind. He's very, this is this, that is that, you know? Yeah. Uh, I I don't know. It just doesn't seem like a way that Dylan's mind would really think, like he would go that way. Um, I think that is something that probably Harper or Hoon would probably figure out first.
1: Yeah. And now that I'm thinking about it, um, I'm taking Dylan and projecting him toward the end of this show. Mm-hmm. He's able to take kind of these, like you say, abstract ideas and string them together and come up with a a spot on idea Mm -hmm. or, or or theory Mm -hmm. about what's going on. And yet you talk about having a problem with Dylan being able to do that, to make that scientific assumption Mm -hmm. correctly. I kind of have a problem with how Dylan approaches trance at the end of the show. I mean, everybody is established. It's trance. Mm -hmm. It's, It's trance. You know past and future and all of these things have been intersecting. So why do you have such a problem with future trance showing up? Mm -hmm. And present trance disappearing into either the past or future. Mm -hmm. Um, I kind of have a problem with Dylan not trusting this character that we've already established has earned trust. And he's looking at her and saying, you look different. Therefore, I do not trust you. Well, I mean, he's clearly not comfortable with her now. But why? Why? What has she done? Other than overriding a decision by another crew member. Mm -hmm. Which does to me, yeah, okay, that kind of throws up maybe a little bit of a red flag. Mm -hmm. Because Harper was saying, my life is forfeit. Mm -hmm. That Hone Hone is is a better candidate to to live. So I am choosing to, oh, wait, you should turn on the machine. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, maybe that gives you pause to say, okay, you you acted outside of normal bounds. You overstepped your bounds. Right. Okay, but the way he presented it is, you have no basis for trust whatsoever. It's trance!
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So I kind of have a problem with that, mm-hmm. since you're bringing up Dylan's foibles.
2: I know, I can't argue with that either. I guess it's just because just everything about her is different. It's not just the way she looks, but it's the way she she acts and everything. Her personality, man. she says she's still trance. Yeah. But
1: she's, she's clearly different. Did you see the way she took the head off of that Calderon? Yeah. That was impressive. Yeah. That was like Highlander stuff, man. Mm-hmm. That was, yeah.
2: You know, she just seems a lot more serious, a lot less cute is different
1: yeah and and stepping outside of the universe of what we learn about the andromeda universe Mm -hmm. we know why that happened right i mean that was a production decision Mm -hmm. to try and draw in a broader viewing public Mm -hmm. it's still laura bertram it's still that same innocent face even though she obviously has experienced a lot, mm-hmm. and it has changed her. And She has grown. She is. This is a grown-up version of Purple Trans. Mm-hmm. It's still trans, and and I think more than anything, that scene that she gives at the end, where she talks about, you know, th- the action that she took in saving Harper, mm-hmm. that was a selfish act. Mm-hmm. She did that out of friendship. Mm-hmm. She didn't do that because of of some. You know, Dylan points out, you've always had your own agenda. She didn't do that because of her own agenda. She did that because she has a relationship with that crew member, mm-hmm. an appreciation for that crew member. I, I feel like Dylan should have given her a little bit more of a break.
2: Well, and he, he did kind of soften a little bit um, from that, yeah. which is kind of odd that she would say that he would soften because she said that she did something incredibly selfish. Uh, but from his viewpoint, it's like, okay, well, there's something different. Honesty. Mm-hmm. And and she really does. Gold Trance just lays stuff out on the table um, a lot more than Purple Trance ever did. When he asks her, how how does this make the universe a better place? And she's just like, I don't know. I may have made it worse. Yeah. So, but, you know, she's... I can kind of see where where a trance like this could be a benefit to everyone because she has already experienced things. She's already seen where things goes wrong. Like she admits herself that she can't, she doesn't know how to make things right, but she knows how to make things wrong. So let's try to not go down that path
1: again. Yeah. Instead of going where I point to on the the stellar map, now you have to listen to what I tell you not to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that is a that is a difference. I'm going to ask you. Okay. Um, because one of the other things that I have is about what do we learn. Purple Trance is the exit. Mm-hmm. Okay. I just want to ask, which do you like better? Purple Trance or Gold Trance?
2: Well, I mean, we only saw like 15, 20 minutes of Gold Trance.
1: So well, you've seen... Three and a half seasons of gold trance
2: right uh, man, that is a really tough question because uh, like you say, I have seen the whole thing, so I know where all of this goes and 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 when we started this, we started watching the first few episodes, I had sadly kind of forgotten a little bit about gold Tr- about purple trance mm. and not that I forgot that she ever existed. I mean, this is a huge change. That that doesn't just go away. That doesn't leave your, your memory. Yeah. But what did kind of go away was just how long Purple Trance was around. Um, my perception of this was that she was just there for a little bit and then gone. Mm. And going through and looking over this and seeing that it was this was halfway through season two before this change is made. And it kind of blew me away a little bit. And it started, it's got me thinking, what all was Purple Trance involved in that I forgot about? Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of been a fun journey is going through all of this, seeing all of these things that Purple Trance has been involved in and that she did, knowing when the time is coming that she's going to be making her exit, yeah. as you say. Yeah. So – Man,
1: I don't know. That's really, really tough. I'm going to say this. I really like Purple Trance. Mm-hmm. I'm sad that that we're not going to have Purple Trance anymore. Yeah. But all that is is a skin color. Mm-hmm. What we got instead is an even, I think, I feel like, is going to be an even deeper character. Mm-hmm. One with a little more perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, So I'm not going to say I don't like Gold Trance. Mm-hmm. Well, how much
2: of Gold Trance have you seen, though?
1: One episode beyond this one. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah. Yeah, yeah this is this is very early on for me.
2: Right. And you see, before we went back and started rewatching this, when I think of Trance Gemini, I think of Gold Trance. Okay. And because that's just
1: That's the image that comes to mind. Yeah. That's what and, you got used to.
2: Right, exactly. Yeah. I mean that she she's in it for the rest of the way out. So yeah, that's just kinda well let me ask you, when you think of Commander William Riker, do you think of him with a beard or without a beard? Beard. See? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah yeah
1: same guy as soon as you said william uh-huh beard
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> right yeah. so yeah and which one did you like better william with a beard or Riker without the beard
1: oh you had to like uh, bearded Riker.
2: yeah that was a bad example I was going to say, you know, they're the same, right? <laughs> I guess not, but maybe that's just from uh, some TNG yeah. season one. Way oh, to make this a Star Trek I conversation a Star Trek again. I know, I know. I tried to beat you to that. because I did it again. Yep. I did it again. But you know, talking about Becca or Trance making her exit, you kind of mentioned it a little bit. But
1: where did Purple Trance go? <laughs> I know that. Okay, for one. I I really wish they had given some more time to her exit. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is, is, like you mentioned, a major change in this character. Isn't it almost like a death? It does. Yes, yes. It does almost feel like a death. And I really wish they had given it more of a treatment. I wish there had been Harper there. And, well, maybe just Harper. Mm -hmm. I really wish Harper had been in the room with Becca because they were crewmates. Had been for much longer than the show has run, mm-hmm. and yeah, all she does is she looks at Becca and says, "See ya mm-hmm. and then she walks off and 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 yeah, where does she go that mm-hmm. does she go into another time period where she grows up out away from the maru and and Andromeda a separ- like a whole separate life, and then now. Eventually she grows into gold trance, and instead of seeing that whole arc, you know, basically purple trance exits and gold trance walks in, in you know blink of an eye. <laughs> yeah, I know I'm getting a headache, <laughs> and you're going cross-eyed. Oh, yeah. So, but do you, do you kind of follow what I'm saying? There? No,
2: not at all, because um, it it's too circular, and you can't be circular. Well, that's when the you've whole got... point?
1: The ouroboros Dang. circular. Come yeah, on. but but purple trance is from the future. Whoa, what? So, huh? Purple trance is from the future. She's older. How can she not be from the future? She's older. She's so. How does purple trance get into the universe and hook up with the Maru and then hook up with the Maru and Andromeda?
0: Say that again. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. All right. All right. All right. So purple trance is younger than gold trance. Correct. Yeah. But you're saying that purple trance is older than this timeline. Where- no, no, I'm saying gold trance is older. You said purple trance is older.
2: Did I? Yes. Well, I get. I'm colorblind. God, so- don't confuse me like that. All right, <laughs> I do apologize for that. But okay, gold trance is older. Okay. So she must be from the future. Yes. It it only makes sense. Yes. Okay? Yes. That's assuming purple trance is from our established. Timeline. Do we need to get
1: the whiteboard out and diagram get, yeah, let's, this? Let's get it out
2: because <laughs> I don't know about you. I kind of got the feeling that basically they just traded places. Or where else is purple trance going to go?
1: Well, because okay, here the the, the linchpin to my argument okay. is gold trance says she's gone, mm-hmm. but she's not gone. Right. She's just grown up. Yeah, because that's her. Yes.
2: She is the same trance standing before them now that used to be the purple trance that was serving with them all those years.
1: Yeah, so if, if we're talking about uh, temporal rifts and intersections in time, mm-hmm. in my mind, when purple trance walks off the Maru, she's just going to live a different life. And eventually... That life is going to end up wherever this gold trance is and she walks on board the Maru and starts beheading called Aaron's and says, You gotta go grow up. I'm gonna take your place. I don't know how to explain it any differently than that. <laughs> no, no, I get it. It's just that it,
2: it just it kinda seems pointless if you're just going around. It does and around seem pointless in this
1: temporal circle. I yeah. Mean, it does seem pointless. Yeah, I mean, I'll she, agree with you.
2: Is this second
1: time around? Is Trance going to learn more? Uh, apparently not. She didn't gain any more experience
2: because it's okay it's still now. The same. Yeah,
1: now I start. I'm starting to see where your where your confusion is. Right. Because if she goes and lives this other other life, how does she know where she's made her mistakes mm-hmm. with Andromeda? I presume. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, this is problematic.
2: Yeah, I don't think that's where Purple Trance went. Okay. I think she just traded places with Gold Trance. Yeah. And if that's the case, how cruel of her to do that to herself. (laughs) Because she said that this future that she's from is just terrible. It's bad, yeah. It's awful. Mm -hmm. Unless she knew that she could fix it and make that future for her Purple self
1: better, good. Right? Okay. Let's hold on to that. Okay. Let's grasp that and hang on to it. All right, because that's the only way I'm going to go through this night and not be depressed, mm-hmm. but because I, mean, I do like purple trance yeah i I hate to think of her in a worse situation than right. she's already in
2: you know they they say that with this um uh, with all of these distortions that are going on, it's creating some sort of an environment in which paradox can exist, yes, and I guess that's just to try to tell all of us geeks and nerds don't try to think about it too much. <laughs> We're yeah. just saying that this can happen. Yes. And don't try to
1: figure it out. These paradoxes <laughs> are just happening, okay? You you really need to supersede, or, or, or super, whatever, in the background you need to have Let It Go okay. playing <laughs> <laughs> from a particular favorite movie of your family's. Oh, hell yeah.
2: Let's just say it plays a lot. I don't know if it's a favorite, but...
0: <laughs> uh.
1: And I just, I want to touch on it briefly because we've seen him so often. Mm-hmm. Hone's exit. Yeah. That, that was kind of sad. Yeah. Um, it seemed to me that Harper didn't put his best effort into trying to hold on to Hone. Was it that or was <laughs> Hone not? Hone was just flailing about and, yeah. I'm not good at this kind of thing. <laughs> he almost went in a line like, I have to die now. Yeah it's what they've written. Right. Well, I mean honestly, who is
2: good at that kind of thing? I well, yeah. Uh, well, I mean Tier obviously. Maybe. I
1: mean, had Tier been there, right. totally different timeline.
2: Yeah, I don't know if even Tier could have saved him. <laughs> Cuz he was he just really seemed determined Inept.
1: to give up. Yes. Yes, he did.
2: That that boy had a lot of quit in yeah. him.
1: Initially I wanted to put it on Harper, but yeah, no, it's yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> home didn't fight hard enough, I don't think. No. Um, maybe maybe the Perseid adrenal glands don't work mm-hmm. like the human version. Right. Okay. Let's just accept that and move on.
2: Um, this is kind of a little point about, uh, about Dylan. You know, he, he's willing to go ahead and just put Harper out of his misery if this whole thing doesn't work out and these Magog eggs or larva or larvae are going to hatch. Uh because that's that's a brutal thing. We don't want that to happen to Harper. So, Dylan is willing to put an end to that. Now, here's where I have the problem. Harper didn't ask him to do that. Uh Harper just says he he, he says this is going to be awful here, you know, this here it comes. And Dylan just says, I'll never let that happen. It's like, whoa, well, wait, wait a minute. Um, thank you.
1: <laughs> but I didn't actually ask you to kill me yet. Yeah, but doesn't Harper know that's what's going to have to happen to him?
2: Yeah, but wouldn't you at least like to just be able to ask somebody to do that? Mm. I mean, he's, yeah. he's already asked Tyr to do it. So we know that it's, it's in him. To do that, true. But with Tear, that wasn't something that Tear volunteered to do. Right. When Harper told him, "If these things start to hatch, just kill me," and then Tear, he's just he's kind of rolls his eyes because, oh, okay, there you go, just just quit, <laughs> like you would. But he agrees. He's like, "Okay, whatever. I'll do it. I don't really care. You're the one dying, not me. Not the way I would want to go out, but." You know, your decision. Dylan doesn't give him that decision, or
1: doesn't give him that choice. He just, he just says, I won't let that happen. Yeah, but, I mean, I, I, I'm watching it, and it, yeah, that just seems like the logical conclusion. I mean, I, I, you, you say you have a problem with Dylan being able to do that. Dylan understands that if he gets to the point where these things are coming out, it's end game. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, yeah. It's a lot harder to kill these larvae when they're swarming around the ship, okay. eating all the food stores and, you know, crawling through Jeffrey's tubes. I know they're not called Jeffrey's <laughs> tubes, but I'm calling them Jeffrey's tubes. I don't know what a Jeffrey's tube is. I've never heard of that before. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, so it's harder to track these things down and kill them through the ship, and then very quickly they become adult Magog, and now they're killing your crew. Mm-hmm. It makes perfect sense that Dylan is willing to protect his ship okay, by killing Harper. Right. And I'm not arguing that
2: it doesn't make perfect sense. I mean, yeah, I agree. That's the thing that probably has to happen here. I just think he could have asked instead of told him. That's all. It's like, hey, if this doesn't work, do you want me to just what, – what 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 do you oh, – let me – if this doesn't work, what do you want me to do?
1: <laughs> yeah, because it's almost, it's almost like when, when a person is close to death, it's like, what would you like done with your body? Yeah. Would you like to be cremated? Would you like to be buried? Mm-hmm. We're giving you the choice. right? Would you like me to do it? Tears already promised. <laughs> Which would you prefer? Right. Head? Chest? <laughs>
2: <laughs> and why didn't Harper remember that when he says, hey, um, I'm not going to let this happen. I'm going to take you out. Why wasn't Harper like, oh, uh, tears already got dibs on that, <laughs> actually? Yeah. Because yeah. tear, you know, he was like, I don't know where he was, but he heard... Dylan make that promise, and he's like, what? No, 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 no. I can see him running down the hallway, no, no, no! <laughs> uh, <coughs> I, um, I get to, I mean, I promised him that I would <laughs> do that. A lot of people want to kill Harper.
1: That's all I'm saying. That's ultimately what I take away from this right. episode. yeah. Even Rakib. Yeah. Rakib pulled a gun. <laughs> oh. Uh... I I want to talk just briefly. I I want to pick your brain. All right. Okay, so we had uh, Mad Max, Becca. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Very briefly. Uh, Is this something to remember going forward? Or was this just kind of a throwaway future scene?
2: Uh, Let's see. How do I say this without spoiling it?
1: No.
0: Dang it. Yeah. All
2: right, moving on. I think this is something that is... uh, Far into the distant future, a future that we will never see.
1: We won't ever see it. Well, I mean, because Trance came back. She's going to change everything. Uh, and, then, and then beyond that, you know, when she finally does turn her attention away and she's going to exit, you hear a voice in the background. It's like a kid's voice that kind of calls her. And then she's like, I haven't got time for this. And she walks off. So you're saying we don't have to remember this for any particular reason. Well, maybe we were supposed to at some point,
2: but... Yeah, no, I mean, this is all just a – this is an alternate future that uh, now, since Trance has come back, she's going to change everything. Okay. So whatever happened to Becca, what, for whatever reason she has the scar on her face, what, uh, however she lost her eye, whatever that voice was you – know,
1: It doesn't impact our story here, mm-hmm. ultimately. Not anymore. Okay.
2: Okay. All right. Uh, yeah, Rami says that she's not sciencey. Uh, she can't figure out things. Like, like you talked about earlier, she's the one that figured out the pattern. Uh, and then she figures out how to navigate through the ship. Um, something about
1: moving at right angles toward their goal. Did you understand what that meant? The way I interpreted it is whatever right-hand turns they're making, mm-hmm. instead of making the right-hand turns, they're just going to make all left-hand turns now. I I don't know. I was confused. Okay.
2: Uh, I basically, think
1: basically, it sounded like she was saying, whatever we think we're going to do, we're mm-hmm. going to do the opposite of that, and it's going to take us where we want to go. Okay,
2: Costanza tried that, and it worked out great for him.
1: There you go. Okay. Seinfeld in Andromeda yep. works. Yep. Um, <laughs> I think really what they did here was just
2: – something that they did through this whole episode was have all this science stuff, but make it as vague as they possibly can. Yes. Uh, with this device that they're creating – they really don't tell us anything about how it's supposed to work or even what kind of theories it's based upon really. I mean, we other know that than
1: it's based on the Tesseract technology, which we didn't understand
2: either. Exactly.
1: So, here's this
2: thing that we don't understand and we're <laughs> going to do these other things that we don't understand. We're not even going to use a lot of
1: technical jargon. Like like the moment where Rakib shows him the Yes. <laughs> and he, he goes to a console and he just bloop, 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 and door opens and boom there's the there's the machine shop.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Did, I mean, did you see that screen? There was <laughs> there was no- nothing there. No interpretable data. Yes. It's just a couple of
1: wavy lines. So it, it, basically it all all of this hinges on a sci-fi TV trope.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's just be as vague as possible and just throw around a few science terms, and then we'll just let the audience believe what they're seeing. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Like I did.
1: <laughs> oh, I totally bought it. Yeah. Uh, like, this is real. <laughs> that was I'm it. pretty sure. That was all in. It's just over my head is the thing. <laughs> yes. That's all. Yeah. Don't look. Don't pay too close attention to the man behind the curtain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was also a little, quite a bit of uh,
2: side discussion in this episode between a few of the different characters about whether their lives are are their own paths to create or where, where, or whether it's just uh, predestined. And they can't change it. The, they make reference, you can't change the past, um, but maybe you can change the future. Rakib really doesn't know what to think. In fact, he seems to be more of the idea that it's okay that, that Hone's dead, Because that's the way it was destined. There's nothing that could have been done about it. Yeah. Until the end, when he totally flips out,
1: that Hone's dead. Right. (laughs) So that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right? Well, I think what he's seeing there is the opportunity to bring Hone back. I mean, it's happened. Yeah. And he he convinces Harper, you can't beat yourself up about it Mm -hmm. because it's in the past. Right. Despite the fact that the past, present, and future are happening all around them at that point, Mm -hmm. um, it happened. Right. Right. And so I think that's a very pragmatic view uh, of of that event. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he's faced with there's a decision to be made. We can reset all of this and we get back Sinti's greatest scientist or we save Harper and Cinti's greatest scientist remains dead. So, when faced with that decision, the either or, Ricky really wants to have his his science buddy back. Right? And I guess just to be totally
2: objective about it, yeah, we love Harper. He's the character that we're following. It does seem like the better decision, though, to let Harper go, doesn't
1: it? What do you think? Well, uh, what has Hone done for the galaxy? Well, we don't know. Other than archive a bunch of stuff. Well, we don't know (laughs) specifically what he's done. Right. He's probably responsible for a lot of technology. He has
2: this reputation of being the greatest mind in the known universe.
1: Yeah, he has value as a scientist, but there are other scientists out there. Yeah, but none like his. But looking at it from Andromeda's perspective and the crew, Harper's family. Yeah, I know. I get that. From... From their perspective. But from Rakim's perspective. From
2: the universe's perspective. Uh. Which ones? I mean, maybe we're getting into a whole uh, from the movie with Will Smith conversation, you know, about who's more valuable to society. Oh, iRobot? Was it iRobot? Was it? I think it was. Okay. Well, anyway, one of those movies where the AI did bad things. (laughs) That's all of them. Oh, yeah. That's right. (laughs) That's right. Yeah.
1: Um, when it comes to decision-making on who lives and who dies.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you step away from that and look at that, it, Harper is a super genius. He's a great scientist. Evidently, nowhere near the level of Hone.
1: Right. Right. But I think ultimately what you have to accept for this show and I'm not going to say it's because Harper's a main character in the show. That's not what I'm getting at. What ultimately it comes down to, Trance says, I saved Harper because he's a friend. Right. But at the same time, how closely is Hone plugged into key events in reshaping the, the galaxies for the Commonwealth and for reestablishing civilization? Mm-hmm. Hone doesn't seem as close to it as Harper does. Okay, Harper is at the heart of Andromeda. Mm -hmm. He keeps the ship going. He is an engine for change. And I think even Trance at that moment, she could look at it and say, he's a friend. But at at the same time, I think she can also look at it and say, Harper is a force for change. Mm -hmm. Whereas Hone, yeah, he does good things, but it's only to benefit certain people in this time period. Mm -hmm. Or maybe it was was even more selfish than just
2: because Harper was her friend. What would have happened if they had destroyed that device? Hone would have come back. Mm -hmm. Harper would have died. Trance would have gone back to that terrible, awful future.
1: Ooh. Yeah. That's a good point. That's a really good point. I hadn't thought of that.
2: Yeah. Maybe she's a little more selfish than we think. Wow. That's devious. I know. <laughs> I don't think so. Okay. And I guess still just not understanding all of this stuff. You know, we have all of these crew members from the past coming on board. We have all of these Calderons coming on board. We have Magog coming on board. And all these different people from different times and places jumping on and off through these temporal distortions. And then once they activate the device, you get the Magog out, and then they do whatever they got to do, science words, to contain the whole thing, right? And then everything goes away. How is it that everything went away, but Gold Trance is still there?
1: Well, di- isn't there a line at the very end where... Rami says she's accounted for the Magog and Calderon bodies. There are no live bodies left on the ship. So you're saying there were still dead bodies? Maybe they were. Maybe the 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 ship defenses were still taking out stragglers uh, once all of the tesseracting stuff quit. So then they're still alive? No, they're dead. They got shot. they there. She
2: accounted for all of them. Oh, well. See, that was that, that was a joke on the Andromeda's internal defenses.
1: <laughs> oh well, yeah, it is a joke. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I get that. Okay. All right. <laughs> but in this case, it worked. Okay. Right. This time. <laughs> this time. Okay. <laughs> so I, I don't know. So,
2: oh, oh, I mean, all the, all the old crew members, though.
1: Okay, Dylan showed up. With all of the crew members around him, mm-hmm. he was out of place. But then he got back to the present. Okay, uh, Vance, or, or whatever the, the security officer's yeah, name Major was, Vance. Major Vance. She shows up on the ship, out of place. Mm-hmm. She runs off to take out Calderon's per her captain's instructions. But you got to figure that her and the two guys that were with her would have gone through a bulkhead and suddenly, you know, gone back to their time.
2: Okay. It just seems messy, though. I mean, with everybody just going all over the place, how do we know that they're going to go back through and go back to their time? Yeah. Or maybe they just end up on this hurricane planet, you know? So, they're stranded there. Yeah, yeah. So Who so knows when or where I'm all having, of these people are?
1: I'm having a mental image of, like, an ambassador from, like, a future mission showing up in some corner, you know, maybe in the basketball room. <laughs> And just, like, wandering the ship's corridors in a section that they never go to, uh-huh. and he never can't get access to the comm, and just, like, dies in a corner somewhere. <laughs> uh, it's a long way for a bad joke.
2: Well, I got nothing. I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I just think the whole thing is just it's just kind of messy. We, I, how, how is it that everybody gets back where they're supposed to be? Well, I mean...
1: The only people that we know that were out of time on board the the present Andromeda was Vance and a couple of crew members, right? Yeah. I, I feel like it's easy to explain the fact that they disappeared. They went back to whatever time they started from. Maybe they didn't go back to their time though. Well, maybe they ended up somewhere totally different. This the is a hurricane planet. This yeah. is what
2: I'm saying. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. yeah, I, I, yeah. I, d- I I follow that. The the
2: Pax robot. Um, all of the Calderans, they came onto Andromeda's time, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, they, not the other way around. Right, right. Now, I, yeah, when when Dylan was surrounded by his old, his entire old crew, I think he's definitely the odd man out, mm-hmm. right? But most of those other cases, it's other people coming onto the ship. Right, right.
1: I don't know. It's the just how, the how bulk they... of them being Calderans and Magog. And I I think at the end where Rami says, I've accounted for all of the bodies. Okay. Those are the ones that did get left on the ship. And they were dealt with. Okay. Everyone else, yeah, they could have ended up on, you know, Ryza or wherever. (laughs) Hmm. You know. But you're never going to get a a definite answer on that. Okay. Maybe Um, Vance is sipping pina coladas on some alien beach. And she's not actually dead 300 years in the past. Yeah. That would be cool.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Maybe she's alive 300 years in the future. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So when Dylan says she was a good officer, or Mm -hmm. she's a good officer, Mm -hmm. and Rami corrects him, maybe Rami's wrong. (laughs) Yeah. Okay,
2: my last thing. At the very end, Harper has to make this very difficult decision. Mm -hmm. Well, he's supposed to have to make it. It's made for him. Yeah. My question is... Why is this Harper's decision? Dylan's the captain. He's in command. He's the one that is trying to mold the universe to his will, according to Tier, and he even kind of goes along with it. Yeah, that's what he's doing. Why does he leave that decision to
1: Harper? That's a real good question.
2: I mean, doesn't that seem like a time when he steps up and says, okay, this is the hard decision, this is the right decision. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, yeah, I do.
2: And if if that had been the case, I kind of think that Dylan would have just destroyed the device.
1: Yeah, except for the fact that like he has already admitted to earlier the Maru's crew is family. Yeah. They've gotten close. Right, and that's- So heart. so for Dylan to make Dylan I think is acknowledging at this point he can't make this life-and-death decision for Harper. He can't send Harper off to his death. I don't know if I want to be under the command of someone like that. Okay. No, no, I, I think mm-hmm. that's that's a valid point. Mm-hmm. That's a valid argument. But that's where Dylan is now. It, this is a life-and-death decision. Dylan can't make that call. He's going to have to leave it to Harper. Now, Harper does the, the self-sacrificing thing and makes the decision – to give up his own life. And maybe that's the decision to, that Dylan would make, too. Maybe Dylan was giving Harper the
2: opportunity to make the right decision. Yes. And then, if he makes the wrong decision, Dylan would be like, no. <laughs> I <laughs> yeah, gave but, you your shot.
1: Look. But we never get to see that. <laughs> we never get to see that play out. Okay. Well, I
2: don't know. It just, it just seems... Very strange to and, me.
1: And, and here again, uh, we've talked about this a lot off and on throughout the – especially the last few weeks. Did we see growth out of Harper? Did we see character growth here? Oh, yeah. 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 Absolutely. hmm Yeah.
2: And it, it, there's – it's growth that uh, carried over from previous episodes. Yes, it did. He had made that determination. He's not going to let this beat him. Now Rev Bim, who he thinks is his only hope to get a cure for this, to get these Magog out of him, is gone. So the old Harper from three or four weeks ago would have gone back to his bunk, would have sulked and cried about it, and then gone and asked Tyr to kill him. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Now he's proactive. Mm -hmm. He says, okay, I just thought of it. Here's another idea. We can go get these guys. They can help us. Yeah. That we've known about this whole time, but they're really annoying, and I didn't want to ask them. <laughs> and then, yeah, like we've already discussed, and in the end, he makes the totally selfless decision, which the Harper from three, four, six weeks ago probably wouldn't have done. No, no. All right, Ethan, are you ready to move on to the the quote?
1: I think we've milked this one for all we can.
2: Yeah. I, sadly, I don't think so. <laughs> no, but, but you're probably we, right. But we need to move on. We
1: do need to move on.
2: Okay, uh, so the quote. Spiral spin, ride the whirlwind. Knowing when the drumming stops, there'll be no second dance. Who was that by? That was the, uh, the tempa poetus mm-hmm. from Rhythms, Commonwealth Year 9825.
1: I think the Eulotempa poetus Mm-hmm was a 70s earth rock music fan okay <laughs> uh, that's my thought on this okay this quote
2: i think that uh this quote doesn't hold up with the episode really Explain. well i mean yeah in general in our real universe i think it's spot on life just happens mm-hmm. it goes with or without you And you just got to write it out.
1: Yeah. And you don't get second chances.
2: Exactly. In this episode, they are given opportunities to mold the past, the future, uh, to to have second chances. Do we want to do this again? Or do we want to do something different? Yeah, that's true. And
1: so, you know, they're in a unique position
2: in this episode. It doesn't happen
1: all the time. Right, right. I was going to say, we're breaking a lot of laws of physics. (laughs) Right.
2: Right. Yeah, as far as real life, sure, definitely. In this episode...
1: Totally wrong. Mm -hmm. No, yeah, yeah, I I see where you're going
2: with that. And Mm -hmm. it it makes perfect sense. Right. So maybe they just give us that quote to uh, kind of keep us grounded, to remind us what life is really
1: like. That what we're watching in Mm -hmm. this episode, it's fiction.
2: Right, with some science in it. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, uh,
1: science-ish. Ish. Stuff. Ish. Yeah. Heavy on the ish. Right. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, so uh, let's go ahead and nail it down then. Ethan, uh, your thoughts on this episode, final thoughts.
1: All right, final thoughts. And, and I've been thinking about this during our conversation and then during the day thinking about recording this episode. Mm-hmm. I didn't bring it up in the factoids. This was an episode written by Robert Hewitt Wolf. Right. I was wondering why you had left that out. Yeah, because okay. I wanted to discuss it now. Okay. This is the last episode written by Robert Hewitt Wolf mm. He's done. A- at the point when this episode is recorded, he's already gone. Mm-hmm. He's already been dismissed by Tribune Entertainment. Is he not credited with uh,
2: Dance with the Mayflies here in a couple of weeks? Mm. I thought he told us that that was a script that he had handed in. But, as far as the production, he had nothing. He had to do nothing with to
1: it. do with it, and they totally changed it. Oh, did they? From what he had originally written. Okay. They took the basic premise of the idea, I think is what I remember from the interview. okay, and they altered it. okay. This is the last one that he had written you know that that was I, I, I wouldn't, I'm not gonna say from beginning to end was what he wanted. Obviously, it wasn't because mm-hmm. he loved purple trance mm-hmm. and did not want it to be changed but that's what they've done here. Mm-hmm. But this is an episode that he written and now he has exited. And so like we've talked about before, this is a watershed episode because it's the last one where the creator or rather developer of this show has now left the production of this show. Mm-hmm. So what we see from now on is not his vision. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, it doesn't conform to his idea of where this story is supposed to go. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, it's a little bit of a negative, for me, anyway, because all I'm familiar with, really, is the shows that Robert Hewitt-Wolf has had his hand in. And now we're going to see something different. Now it's not going to be the same, as you alluded to earlier in your through-green binder (laughs) comment there. Um, So, yeah, uh, on the one hand, I watched this episode, and I'm saddened by it. Because it is the exit of Robert Hewitt Wolfe from the series. It's also the exit of Rev Bim from the series. It's the exit of Purple Trance from the series. So there's a lot of – we kind of alluded to it before – deaths
0: mm-hmm. of
1: characters that we've gotten used to seeing or, or creative um, ideas are, are now no longer going to be there. Mm-hmm. And yet, at the same time, I watch this episode and I'm very entertained by it. Mm-hmm. I'm intrigued by Mad Max, Becca. I'm <laughs> intrigued by Purple or uh, Gold Trance. I- I'm intrigued by the idea that calderons for some reason, are going to be swarming all over the ship. And-, and all of the things that are to come, I'm excited to see what's going to happen at this point going forward in this, an- in this Andromeda universe. Mm-hmm. So... It's a very good episode. It's one that should not be missed. It's an it's an enjoyable episode to watch, even though it is a little – the science is a little out there, maybe a little bit too far in some places. Mm-hmm. I like the episode, and yet I'm saddened that we've gotten to this point, and now I'm looking at a series that uh, – I'm in the dark. Mm. <laughs> I really do. Beyond the next episode, I do not know what is coming other than what has been spoiled mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, in conversation with you or in interviews with others. Mm-hmm. You know? And so it, it's exciting for me personally because I don't know what's to come. And this is a good episode. And now I, it, it really does feel like a jumping off point and a watershed moment in the series. So I enjoy it. Okay. Uh,
2: yeah. Yeah. I do, too. I enjoy this one. I, I knew, uh, looking forward to this one, that this was one one of the last ones that I specifically remember from my first time watching it through yeah. when it was first aired. and Because it's a very powerful episode. There are so many things in this that are just so crucial and so important to what happens from this point on. You don't have the rest of Andromeda without this episode because everything changes just everything it's all different from now on and you know, you, you talked a little bit about the uh, the science stuff being a little far out there and you know that's one of the things that a lot of times is a is kind of it bugs me when when the science is just doesn't make sense but i felt that in this one um i joked about it but they made it vague enough that 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 there wasn't some sort of an actual theory that you can go on the internet and say, oh no, that's wrong because that's like, this is what this is. Okay, these are just completely made up things. So you can't necessarily disprove what they're doing. The story, the story was interesting. Uh, There was a lot going on, both visually and uh, sort of intellectually. Yes. Throughout all of the, the action... And the craziness, or the the freaky what is it? What is it? Becca said, <laughs> "Freaky things, freaky whatever." Yeah, the freaky things. There's there's a lot of pretty heavy conversation going on. A lot of pretty heavy themes mm-hmm. too. Yes. And so I appreciated the way they were able to to make those two things work together. And a lot of times an episode is going to be one or the other. And this was really both. I felt like. Uh, all in all, I guess just to wrap it up, I did enjoy this episode. Um. There's really not too much hardly at all that I can look at this episode and say that was bad. I didn't like that uh I didn't like some of the ways that Dylan made some of his decisions um I thought it was kind of a weird Dylan episode, but that's not really a huge deal yeah um i'm just I'm just trying to find things. You know, because that's what we do. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, when we we always go through a uh, first segment. We, we do our observations where we pick on things. We make fun of things. We make jokes. Talk about what didn't work. And I really had a hard time doing that. There was
1: not a whole lot there.
2: Right. Yeah, There's, I agree. Th- there have been some episodes where that's pretty much all I've had. <laughs> it's just observations. <laughs> yes. And then I struggle to find an actual topic to discuss. Yeah. And this one was just completely the opposite. Right.
1: And yeah, I just, I can't, I I can't fault this episode. Can I say this? Okay. We talked about it in Into the Labyrinth. How, wouldn't it have been great if we had gotten CG larva? We got CG larva. Yeah. I just want to say that. That was awesome. Okay. I liked the episode because we got CG larva. Right. Well, see, the crowd spoke and they listened. (laughs) (laughs) Okay.
2: Well, I mean, there was probably some sort of a... Temporal Distortion. They heard you say it two weeks ago, and so they went and changed it 14 years ago. It's hard to explain. Don't try to understand it. Timey-wimey. Right. Exactly. Uh, Yeah, but no, there's really not much at all that I can fault this episode for. I agree. Uh, It is sad, the things that you talked about. It is sad to see Purple Trance go, to see Rev Bim go, to know that the one who, let's face it, created this show... Is exiting. Mm-hmm. It, Gene Roddenberry's credited for creating this, I guess. The idea of it initially. Yeah, but I mean, honestly, it was Robert Hewitt Wolf. Yes. Took a couple of very basic, small ideas that mm-hmm. Gene Roddenberry had written down in a huge pile of papers. And then he created this entire universe.
1: That we have come to love. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I will admit, I, I enjoy each week... Watching a new episode of Andromeda,
0: mm-hmm.
1: or or an, watching an episode of Andromeda. Now I'm getting to watch new episodes of Andromeda <laughs> after next week, mm-hmm. and I yeah I love this universe. I'm reading books about it.
2: <laughs> yeah, that blows me away. I'm going to have to read books, I guess. Now, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, which that's that's coming uh-huh. on a, on a future episode. We'll okay. discuss a couple okay. of the books actually. So yeah, he has created this rich universe, and and so here again I'm. I, I have talked about it before uh, when we interviewed him. I am a Deep Space Nine fan. I love Star Trek: Deep Space Nine, and so Robert Hew Wolf is a person that I I I like his work a lot, and I really like his work in Andromeda. And I'm saddened that you know this is this is the exit.
2: I guess just to sum it up then. Yes, I do. I do like this episode a lot. You know, we joked before that there's just not enough time. To discuss everything that we really want to discuss.
1: And we've been at it an hour and 45 now.
2: That's that's before editing, so <laughs> who knows how long it actually is going to be. But, yeah, there's more to talk about, Yeah, isn't there? Yes. And so um, this is actually just going to be the Ouroboros Part 1. Next week, we are going to have the Ouroboros Part 2. And, Ethan, what are we going to do for that episode?
1: Well, uh, if you... Most of you that listen probably have followed Andromeda from its very beginning, or maybe you're just getting into it. But for the majority of you, you probably know of Robert Hewitt Wolf's work online of writing The Coda. After the conclusion of the series, uh, he went back and kind of put his take on how the series would have gone and ended had he remained a part of the production team. And so he wrote this, basically a play, between Harper and Trance. And it's it's very interesting, and we encourage you to uh, go online, find that coda, and review it, perhaps. Read through it. Because that's what we're going to do on our next episode. Right. We can put a, a link to it on our Twitter, on our Facebook,
2: and on, the, on our Podbean website. We can have it listed there yeah. as well. Um, right. And, and th- of course, the reason why we're choosing to do this now is because not only because this is when uh, Robert Hewitt Wolf leaves the show, but this is also the the point in the timeline where Robert Hewitt Wolf's coda actually takes place. Yes, that is true. Is during this episode. So uh, we actually talked about it uh, several times about when do we want to dis- discuss dakota do we want to discuss dakota i think we have to yeah so yeah but finally we we came to an agreement that this is really probably the best place to do this um there might possibly be a few spoilers, but nothing that's going to ruin the I think story. Arc. It, I
1: think it's gonna be less spoiler and more revelation. Yeah. About what this show would have been. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's true. Because we're not gonna talk about what did happen, but what would have happened. Yeah. Okay. So you're if you don't know how this how this show ends, well you're not gonna find out by listening next week but you will find out how it didn't (laughs) end. That's a good way of putting it. I like that. All right. All right. So uh, let's go ahead and wrap this up then, Ethan. Uh, Somebody wants to get a hold of us. uh, Drop us an email. How might they do that?
1: Uh, Please send your emails to drivebackthenightpodcast at gmail.com.
2: You can also contact us on social media. We are on Facebook and Twitter using the handle AndromedaPod at both of those locations. Our home is on Podbean. We're www.andromedaseries.podbean.com. There you'll find every episode that we have done.
1: And you can also find us on iTunes. And if you listen to us there, please subscribe. And if you have subscribed, take a moment. Give us a review, perhaps even some stars. We certainly appreciate that.
2: Another good thanks to our big friend Doug Anderson for giving us his voice for the opening quote again this week. And we invite you to join us back here again next week as we finish up our discussion of Ouroboros in Part 2, The Coda.